Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today I have our senior editor, Jilly Ham, joining me to do a roundup of our top viewed Ask CJ articles. So much about the clearance process resembles the pirate's code, more of what you would call guidelines than actual rules. And so we maintain clearancejobsblog.com. It's a forum where clearance seekers or holders can ask the cleared community for advice on their specific security concerns. So we have background investigators, some maybe adjudicators, facility security officers on there that are reading threads and answering questions. And so Ask CJ is a weekly series that we write at the news site, and that explores the questions that are posed on the Clearance Jobs blog forum. So we always recommend that you consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. But for some recent Ask CJ questions that we've answered include how to renounce your citizenship for security clearance purposes, what a protective or restraining order can do to your clearance, or should you appeal that CIA security clearance denial decision? So we're going to talk about the top viewed Ask CJ articles. And Jill, thanks for joining me. How are you feeling about starting fresh in 2024? I can't believe it. I just can't believe it either. You know, it's just, it, you know, you see it's coming and there's things that I'm looking forward to, like as the year marches down, you know, switch gears, you know, like right now, I mean, this is so stupid, but like, I just can't wait till we get past like, what's it? December 21st is like the, what the winter solstice. So like the days start getting longer again. Like, I feel like it's like 10 o'clock at night when it's only five o'clock. So like that, that usually gets me ready to like, okay, let's get into January. Let's go over the hump here and see what the new year holds. And then the days can be a little bit (laughs) brighter again. (laughs) You know, I mean, obviously if you live in a Southern state, that's not your truth. You're, you got some brightness all the time, but you know, here in the Northeast, it's what happens. Well, and being a toddler mom, I feel like at the time change anyway, it just totally killed me this year. Yeah. And I'm like, what are we going to do if we can't go outside and play after dinner? How am I going to keep you entertained? Like pitch black. uh, So yeah, those are the silly little things. But otherwise, you know, it's the normal get ready for the new year. Maybe I'll consider buying a planner again. There you go. <laughs> Even though I'm, in, I'm mostly digital for everything, but it's all good. So, but I do love doing the rundowns on these things, you know, looking back at what people have questions on, especially with the security clearance process. It's just such a great option that we have with the blog. You know, it's just, it's so helpful for our community. I mean, I love a good Reddit deep dive every now and then, but if you really want where there's some experts, I think people phrase things in a great way where it's not too revealing about their specific scenarios. And so I think it's a really great resource that we have. Absolutely. And also with the Federal Soup Forum kind of going away, it's also a really great opportunity to get information on career advice within the federal government. So I always encourage people, you can ask your questions anonymously, make a username that doesn't really detail who you are. But Jill, (laughs) I think you're going to kick us off with the fifth highest viewed article. 
Yeah, so we're going to count down, right? So the fifth one, it's what crimes get reported if they were revealed in a polygraph. We have a couple polygraph ones that catch people's eyes. You know, I do think that garners a lot of feedback on the blog as well. This is just so, I think it's a daunting process for many people to go through. Uh, but this one says, I'm considering applying for a TSSCI with FSP. This would be through the intelligence community. I'm hopeful to get it after reading the adjudicative guidelines, which by the by, it's also, that's a great place to start reading the adjudicative guidelines for the security clearance process, knowing what you are, they are looking at. Super great take there. I would like to understand what types of crimes get reported if they are revealed in a polygraph. My understanding is that some crimes do get reported, like if I admit to killing someone, <laughs> okay, but they don't but they don't report all crimes. I am trying to understand where the line is drawn. Yeah, so that that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. But <laughs> I mean, I do think, yes, obviously they're gonna report somebody one of the investigators who shares on their regular said there's, you know, if there's an imminent threat to life, limb, and safety that like somebody's gonna be required to report. Like if you've heard something and you know it's it's a specific to the law, like you are obligated. Like, but they're going to be obligated to report it, but it is just being honest and transparent and like showing all the different mitigating factors. He said that your cr criminal conduct not continued, like it was a one-time thing. And we will run into this again later. Like, I think some of it's also going to be, what did you put down on your SF-86 too? <laughs> so I think we're going to circle back to that topic as well. Right. Because that trips people up with the polygraph. But obviously it's going to be they, like the the feedback is generally like they have to uphold the law. It's large, you know, it's a major thing, of course. And obviously they're looking to know like whether or not you're you're not going to be committing like espionage or any of those things. So it's obviously they have to do that. So, but if you've got, there is a um, recommendation too, like you said earlier in your introduction, consulting an attorney, that's a really, if you're worried about this a specific legal situation, having an attorney walk you through what's, what's in, what's out could be super helpful for this. Right. Yeah. I'm no legal ninja, but a lot <laughs> of the advice that we give is what, look at your SF-86, answer the questions that are asked of you. Polygraphs are going to operate a little bit differently, but again, being transparent, being honest. I think it's also important to note, just don't freak out. I mean, it's a, a polygraph is undergoing a polygraph is certainly stress-inducing, but just try to follow your normal routine. Again, answer the questions that they're asking. Don't overthink it. Understand the differences between a lifestyle counterintelligence or a full-scope polygraph. And yeah, we'll see how long the polygraph continues to be a tool in the security clearance process. I feel like a long time because changing policy definitely takes years and years, but it does really understanding the process is important. I had a friend tell me about his, his full scope poly and just, he's done a mold so many times. Cause he, you know, obviously has to go back through multiple times and he's like, it's just not a big deal. I tell them everything. I just unload. And like, after you do that so many times, he's like, they just, there's nothing they can pull at me because I've told them everything. I have nothing to hide. Even all the stuff that like I could get in trouble for, I just tell them because granted, it's not like you broke the law. I'm like, well, that's a, that's a good spicy take. Get my, he's got a strong accent too. I'm like, and maybe it was the accent too that <laughs> maybe helped you sail right through. 
Nothing like a good old confessional to your polygraph yeah. examiner. <laughs> <laughs> Which we don't necessarily recommend. But at the same time, like, I do think there's, for some people, that's a great approach of, like, just all out. This is who I am. Sure. Whatever, you know. Absolutely. Well, and coming in at the top four thread Ask CJ news article is how much does a background investigator make? So obviously, money is very important. And Jilly, I know that you know that with managing our security clearance compensation survey and the report and reports that follow after. And so this one, according to ZipRecruiter, as of July 19th, 2023, the average annual pay for a federal background investigator in Virginia was 63000 just about a year. And so they go down through other numbers by state. The one thing to note pay-wise is there is sometimes a difference between supporting an agency as a federal employee versus being a contractor. So on the Clearance Jobs blog, someone who is interested in a background investigator career was curious about the subject. And it becoming a background investigator can be, one, a good stepping stone into a national security career. It can be a great way to get someone to sponsor your clearance because they're looking for background investigators across the country to interview security clearance applicants and conduct subject interviews. So this subscriber always wondered how much a contractor makes compared to the feds. And so they were a federal background investigator in San Diego made just over $103,000 per year at 40 hours a week. And so the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency actually lists out uh, pay and benefits by example. And so that's something to take in take into account as you're trying to figure out, okay, do I want to work in this industry or do I want a job where background investigators, they are in the field, but they also are able to do some work remotely as well in terms of like typing up notes and things like that. So that was our top fourth red article on Ask CJ. I thought that was such a great question. I was so glad you picked that one too, just because, you know, I'm always looking at what compensation is. Mm-hmm. around that within national security. And like you said, it is such a great job for people to pick to get their foot in the door within national security and get themselves a uh, security clearance if that's what they're they're looking to do. That was a really, really great choice on your part, Katie, to do a deep dive on that one. Yeah. No, it wasn't a deep dive like you do on your on your compensation topics, my friend. <laughs> no, but it it actually made me curious, like what like it's a good one to look into for the future because it's such an important job within our industry. So not to not only encourage background investigators like more to join the field since we obviously need them in order to keep the backlog down, but you know, just to also get people help them get their foot in the door too with getting into national security. So it was good. So number three, we're back in polygraphs again, and this is what I was alluding to. You were honest on the SF-86, but the polygraph trips you up. This person, they said, I'm currently in the hiring and security clearance process for a three-letter agency. Last week, I had my polygraph and psychology exams. I was told by the poly examiner that I passed the counterintelligence section, but didn't pass the personal conduct section. While the examiner is probing as to why I might have a reaction to the personal conduct section, I provided information on minor crimes, including but not not limited to music piracy and possession of illegal fireworks. I did not mention these occurrences 
or any other minor crimes on the SF-86. I thought I was in the clear as the background investigator stated during the interview. The scope of the investigation was only going back seven years, which those crimes were committed outside the scope of, te- of that time frame. They go on and give more like I failed the first poly. I was given information to schedule second, but would have to wait like upwards of 30 days to schedule another appointment. Hindsight always 2020, right? I realized I should have disclosed any involvement in criminal matter, no matter the severity prior to having the polygraph, but what's done is done. And so they're wondering like how much weight's going to be placed on the forced admissions during the polygraph and am I facing an uphill challenge? So yeah, I, I mean, we've written about this a number of times also in the blog of like, what you, if your polygraph doesn't match to your SF-86, you're going to run into issues. This is where this is with the time where you wouldn't want to have a confessional because, I mean, you always obviously have to be honest. We always promote honesty, but you do have to go back and kind of make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and everything that lines up because they're looking for a consistent story to make sure that you're honest and truthful. And so if they have to push you in order for you to share more, even though it's maybe not relevant anymore, that's always going to look a little bit shady, you know? So yeah, I mean, they, they wound up not getting it. The, the hiring process was discontinued. They could have submitted for a statement of reasons and re- could reply, reapply after a year. But yeah, it didn't, it didn't end super well. But I think, I think you go into this really in the story. It's like, it's like the security clearance comes with the whole person concept. And that is that part of it. Like they're looking at everything in there. And when you give one story in the beginning and then you come back, you add more and you're, it's like, oh, by the way, and then you try to mitigate from there. It's a lot harder to mitigate there at the end after the fact than it is in the very beginning. If you just spelled out, hey, I was like 15 when I was in like music piracy. (laughs) You know, I don't do that. It's like over a decade later. Cool. Well, and I think it's, so I'm not saying that this is a part of the polygraph examiner training, but they, they do intimidate you to answer questions. And so, you know, stay firm in, again, what Joel said, looking back at the SF-86, but also utilizing the comments section where necessary on that form. So if you do plan or see in the future that you'll sit for a polygraph, you have a little bit of evidence to back it up. Because in terms of mitigating factors, it's hard to mitigate a lie under personal conduct. It's easy to mitigate, okay, you know, I was 15, time has passed, I was an idiot, and here we are. Yeah, totally. Well, and here we are coming in at the top second red ass CJ. And honestly, I'm surprised that this one wasn't first just because all of our viral articles (laughs) at (laughs) news.clearancejobs.com have to do with porn. I'm going to be writing on it and like porn or Pornhub are like in the top 10, like three different times. So you're not wrong on that. So that that is surprising to me that this wasn't the number one. Yeah, well, and uh, no, I think my most viral article was Pornhub viewer is worried Big Brother Mm -hmm. is watching their Google searches (laughs) and almost broke the news site. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, Katie, that's great. (laughs) But... Keeping time with an escort or porn star, maybe not so great. So prostitution is an illegal act in all states across the U.S. with the exception of certain areas in Nevada where it is it is strictly regulated. So one subscriber on the Clearance Jobs blog had a case that they were reminded of from 15 years ago as 
prostitution and porn stars were making headlines. This was in April of 2023. So y'all can go back through the news channels and see see what was making headlines at that point. So this case that they did about 15 years ago, they had an SES employee who liked to visit escorts while on government travel. But he paid privately and law enforcement was never involved. Without going into too much detail, he indicated he liked them to dress up, etc. As it's something his wife wouldn't do. I don't recall what the issue code was back in the day, but I would guess it may be personal conduct. Just curious in today's age, if no one was hurt, law enforcement wasn't involved, his spouse knew, and he wasn't open to blackmail coercion. What, if anything, could be coded? Mm-hmm. So... Marco Hakama, who is a contributor on the Clearance Jobs blog and a guru in all things security clearances, says that there are countries where prostitution is legal and regulated, sure, but regardless of where it occurs, soliciting a prostitute is never a good idea for someone who has a security clearance. And so according to the adjudicative guidelines under sexual behavior, prostitution or other things like porn could make you susceptible to blackmail, coercion or exploitation by uh, by criminals, foreign intelligence operatives or other individuals if they were to threaten telling on you to certain stakeholders. So sure, maybe their wife knew, but are there other situations where blackmail could be at play? And so this article goes through a few of the adjudicative guidelines that are relevant to this case. Guideline D, sexual behavior. Guideline E, personal conduct. And guideline J, criminal conduct. And while law enforcement wasn't involved in that scenario, criminal offenses should be reported on the SF-86. So again, honesty is the best policy. Explain how you mitigated your past ways with a porn star or escort or what have you. And yeah, so again, surprised that that one wasn't the top viewed this year. Me too. But it does make me think of like, we've written on things where like what happens when you travel abroad doesn't stay abroad. Like you'd actually Mm -hmm. do still back and self-report so i would think he would probably get if you don't self-report things like that which is you know a big push now but self-reporting that you could get into issues with your clearance i would think well that's an awkward conversation with your fso (laughs) 100% like oh by the way i'm not sure what to file this under Anywho, moving on to the number one. And I, I'm, I'm like, I get it. Like, I would have expected your number, the number two article to be the number one. But I don't hate that this is our number one article because it's just, um, there's so many questions on this. But the article is, you still have to complete a new SF-86 every five years under continuous evaluation. I think ever since CE rolled out, it's just been, there's a lot of different questions on it. So typically people used to have to go back in for reinvestigation, like every like what, five, 10 years, depending upon which level of security clearance it was. But here's what the subscriber was asking, said, I work for, um, as a contractor for ODNI currently, and I initially filled out the SF-86 in early 2017, and I was granted my TS in July 2017. My FSO reached out to me today stating that I must update my SF-86 since it's been over six years. I know I'm in continuous evaluation, but is this part of the process? I talked to other people. They got theirs around the same time. They don't have to do a new equip. 
I just thought I didn't need to fill out the paperwork once you're enrolled in CE. Is this normal for everyone or is it just for me? So obviously, like there's just a lot of different nuances and things that maybe happen easily for one person or not the other when you're rolling out something new like continuous evaluation. But what's what it what it is is under CE, you're gonna still have to require you're still required to submit a new SF86 with signed release pages every five years just to update the system. It's not like it's triggering uh, a new investigation, perhaps like it was typically before, but that's like a re-acknowledging that your changes had that any of the changes that occurred in the last five years. But I do think that's going to take time in order to get consistent for every for everyone across the board. That's a lot to like get rolling. So, but there's been a lot of confusion I know about that as to like why you still have to do that if you're enrolled and the system's automatically checking. <laughs> So, but it's just checking things that are going to come up on automated checks. Like, did you get pulled over and like get a DUI? Did you um, have something like submitted to the system? Right. Or like, you know, to law enforcement about you was any, any, any charges that's going to come up in the system or like your credit reports, those will automatically being pulled. If there's like, you know, if you got an influx of cash for like $50,000, just randomly, that should, that should alert the system, things like that. But there's things that you should, you know, personal conduct or, you know, different things that are not going to automatically come up in an automated system that you sign off on that hopefully you've already self-reported too. Right. Right. I was going to say, think of this filling out the SF-86 as an opportunity to kind of dish what you need to dish so you don't get in trouble. But again, yes, you should be ideally self-reporting right. Update situations that are required to be self-reported. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure there's going to still be more questions as things get more fully in place and they make all the different transfers with the systems and stuff like that. I do think there's going to be more questions on this. So it's helpful to have the blog, especially where people can go and get feedback on what the word on the street is from others. Sure. Well, and we're here to answer your questions throughout the rest of 2024. So Jill, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. Everyone should go check out clearancejobsblog.com. And as always, you can read our Ask CJ stories at news.clearancejobs.com. 